You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I'm honored to be able to share around, around Father's Day and, and the, this message. I want to speak to it. Uh, guardians of the family is what we're going to talk about, and that's what, that's what fathers are called to be. Um, but as, as I was, you know, last night, put my girls to bed. I have two beautiful girls, uh, nine and 11, uh, Mercedes and Kenzie, and putting them to bed, and usually I try to take a moment with each one of them. And so with my, my second born, I said, you know, I love you, and I, I did what my dad would do to me. I said, hey, you're my favorite second born daughter I've ever had, right? And maybe add a little extra, like, you know, sec- favorite daughter named Kenzie, right? And it's like classic dad joke. You're like, I'm the only, I know, but still, you're my favorite, right? So it's cute. She giggles. We move on. And uh, then I go to my firstborn, and I say, Mercedes, you are my favorite firstborn daughter I've ever had. And I love her because she leans in and she goes, firstborn, first favorite. That's what she says. <laughs> firstborn, first favorite. And then today she added to it, she goes, in worship, she goes, first best as well. So, she wanted to make sure that we all know that. And, uh, you know, it is funny, as a parent, uh, you you literally, every one of your kids is your favorite. You literally love them fully, right? Um, and so it is, is a unique thing that we have that ability to kind of keep expanding that love, you know, for our family or for our friends. But I, I um, for our kids, one of the things that as we're speaking into this topic, and, and speaking around fatherhood, I recognize that sometimes this topic can be very exciting, very memory-filled, positive for a lot of people. Uh, but unfortunately, statistically, in the day that we live in, Father's Day can be a very painful season as well right? can be painful because maybe your dad's not no longer here, or maybe painful because your dad was never there, or abusive when he was there, and so you just, you carry the weight of that, or you carry the, the, the marks of that. You carry the absence or the presence in a negative way, so sometimes when we're facing this, it can feel like, man, maybe you even thought about skipping Father's Day because you didn't want another full Sunday of trying to wrestle with the pain of your own history in this, um, or even feeling insecure about fatherhood yourself. But I just want to remind you, I want to encourage you that no matter where your history was, it doesn't have to be your future, right? And no matter what your father was like, that doesn't have to be the kind of father that you are, right? Or this message is to encourage you. If you had a great dad, let's keep the legacy going. Come on, somebody. Let's keep building on that. Let's keep strengthening that. Amen. Amen. You know, my dad uh, literally one generation ago had a very different upbringing than I did. I, I was I'm blessed to have grown up in a home with six siblings and a mom and dad who loved each other, loved God and loved us passionately. Right. I never doubted that for a moment. I grew up in a, a very privileged environment in that sense where I had the love of my father, the affirmation of my father. I would oftentimes hear things like, Samuel, I love you. You're a great son. I would hear that often. I said that to my brothers once, and one of my brothers said, I don't know if I heard that a lot. I was like, okay, well, listen, that's between you and dad. I don't know what's going on there. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, this got awkward. Uh, just <laughs> uh, maybe they were just working out the kinks before they got to me. I'm not sure, but you know, um, literally, my dad this morning sent me a text, and I just I so value these because I, I get them from time to time. He said, um, "Happy Father's Day." You're a good father and son. And how beautiful is that to get that kind of statement from your dad? Yeah, I remember when our first daughter was born and I just got a text, you know, we've done most of our kind of adult life away from directly being in the vicinity of our family. So getting communication like this where our first daughter was born and my dad just sends me a text. It just said, I love you, son. You're going to be a great dad. And the power of getting an affirmation like that to me, right, said to me, statements over me, uh, I mean, that, that type of stuff, it just it has such a shaping ability in our life. But you know who didn't hear those types of things when they were a kid? My dad. My dad's dad was an alcoholic. My dad's dad was running out on his mom, right? Like, he grew up in massive dysfunction. I just think it's so encouraging to remember that everything can change in one generation. Everything can change. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that, that he fought to, to create a different legacy for his sons and his daughter. I'm so thankful for that, and I get to live in the in the blessing of that and the overflow of that. I want to talk about that. I want to begin by reading out Joshua chapter 24. Uh, I hope to encourage, I hope that God ministers life to some of you as well here that maybe you've been walking through the pain of dysfunction in the area of fatherhood. But the Bible is clear that of the role of the father and, and the father is designed to be the most stabilizing force on earth. Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. I love this because it speaks to that. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away God, the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served, right? But what, maybe whatever dysfunction your dads had or your ideologies your dads had or ways that they lived, you can serve that. But as for me, he says, and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I love, I love what Joshua steps up in here, and he just begins to make declarations. He begins to lead his household. He begins to speak to those around him, but making that statement, hey, listen, my house, here's what we're going to be about. How many know that's a stabilizing type of statement from a father that says, here's who we are. This is what we're going to be about. Here's where we're going, Right? And God has designed that, gifted that ability and that, that mandate on men to lead our homes, to lead our homes with strength, to lead our homes with courage, to be that stabilizing factor in the world that we live in. But how many know that that's one of the biggest areas where the enemy has attacked, I mean, over all of history? But in this last era of American culture specifically, we've seen such an attack on dads, such an attack on fatherhood. 
I even remember my parents would point out to me, I would call it out in, you know, kids' cartoons or movies where they always make the dad look like the stupid person, right? Now, dad's usually a bit stronger, so you can take a little bit more self-deprecation and laugh it off, but there is a reality when you begin to teach this lack of value and lack of honor towards dads, right? And when, when in a culture where you kind of make statements that, hey, dads are optional. Dads aren't even necessary. You don't need, you know, we don't need a mom and a dad in a home to have healthy kids. Now, I'm thankful for grace to rise above whatever your home situation was, but God's design is that we have a mom and a dad and that we have a father who's in the house leading and building and developing his children. Amen? God designed it this way. And it's wild. I don't know if you've heard the stats in a while. And this is, is unchanging. The statistical advantage, I, get, I don't think that's the right word for this. The, the stat advantage, right, of having a dad in the home is wildly different. Okay, here, here let me sh- read some of the studies on it. Uh, involved fathers, right, are linked to better outcomes on nearly every measure of a child's well-being, from cognitive development and educational achievement to self-esteem and pro-social behavior. Um, children grow up. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade in school, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go to college and find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen pregnancy, and 18% or sorry, 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Wow, 80%. I mean, that, that is an unbelievable stat. That the, the presence of a dad in a home can have that much of a positive impact on a child in their future is unbelievable, and it speaks to the God design of how the family was intended, right? It speaks to the God design. It speaks to God's intention that, that as men that we would step into our place, that we'd step into our homes and we would be a guiding, stable. It's like we're laying a, a solid foundation for a family and a home to be built on. You know what? We're not going to be perfect. This isn't about dads who are present and perfect. Thank God we don't need perfect dads, right? But man, just present fathers, engaged dads. How, how many know technology has ability to distract us? Come on, somebody. It used to be like the iconic deal where it's just dad, TV, vegging out, kids not really getting engaged because of TV. But now we have a thousand more ways to distract us, <laughs> right? Not only it's a TV, it's my phone, it's my social media. I'm the first to admit that that can be a distraction for me and even can be a way to pacify or parent your kids Hey, listen, no judgment on a little bit of, you know, iPad time from time to time so you and your wife can talk, okay? But, but if we're constantly distracted, if we're constantly in everything else and not present with our children, 
uh, has is such a damaging effect because just because I'm in a home doesn't mean that I'm actually present with my children. And we got to make sure that we don't confuse the two as dads, that we engage our kids that are in the home. And maybe your kids are grown and out of the home, engaging your kids still as adults, engaging your grandkids, right, in a unique way. It, don't, don't check out as a grandparent. You know, one of the things that can be very discouraging when you hear these stories, right, as you're raising your kids and you're kind of figuring things out, and all of a sudden, you know, parents, grandparents, they're like, yeah, uh, some are amazingly engaged, and you'll meet some grandparents who are like, yeah, I'm not really into that. Maybe once a month, you know, like I'll, I'll do a little bit of babysitting, but I'm not really trying to be like all, you know, involved. Uh. I, that seems like a really unfortunate use of your experience now that you're older, right? Now you can actually have the ability to speak life into your kids and your grandkids, to be present with them, to walk through life with them, right? Let me talk a little bit why I believe that fathers are the most stabilizing or can be the most stabilizing force on earth. In Genesis chapter 2, starting in, in verse 18, Genesis chapter 2, 18, God is beginning to teach Adam right from the jump his role um, and, and part of his God design. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Come on, can I get an amen? I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he called each living creature, that's what its name was, or that was its name. See, Pastor Jurgen talks about this and has preached on this brilliantly, is the power and the necessity of Adam needing to be able to learn how to use his words correctly learn how to name things. And why was that? Because ultimately our identity is one of the most important things that we get from our heavenly father. And as natural fathers, one of the most important things that each and every one of us have the ability and the mandate by God to do is to impart identity into our children. So why, why are fathers one of the most stabilizing forces is because identity, the identity that we carry inside of us is one of the most stabilizing, determining factors of our success in life. How we see ourselves, how we think about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our future, what we believe about who we are is one of the most important things that each and every one of us carry every single day. But where do we get that? We're designed, we should get it from, we're supposed to get it from our father. And of course, fathers and mothers work together in this, but it begins with us literally in, in our cultures, mo most, of, uh, most of the world, you get your last name. You literally, as a man, you give your name to your kids. We give it literally, and then we, we begin to impart identity. So Adam had to learn, hey, what I name them is what they are. And so as then God brings Eve to him, brings his, his wife to him, and he begins to name, man, man you're gonna, I'm going to call you Eve because from you all life is going to flow from you. You're going to be the mother of all created things. All life is going to flow. He begins to prophesy over her, begins to breathe life into her. 
And the same thing with us as husbands to our children. We have an ability to name them. We literally give them a physical name, right? You begin to name them, which is an identity piece over their life. And then not only just what you physically name your kid, but then you begin to what you, how you talk to your kid, Right? the words you use about your kid, how you describe them, how you speak to them, how you speak about them. All of these things have this identity shaping reality because fathers, we give the identity, but we also have the ability to alter identity as well, which I'm going to talk about a, a little bit more. But for Katie and I with our girls, we wanted to have some fun names. You know, I'm I don't know. I'm sort of like the last of the Gen X, beginning of the millennials. So you like to have cool names, and um, but Apple and Orange were already taken, so I had to think of some fresh ones. And but we wanted something with value as well, right? So our eldest, her name is Mercedes, and I found out. And please don't don't come up and correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, I found out that. Uh, it's it's a Latin origin, and it basically is describing Jesus because Mercedes means mercy bringer, who and Jesus was the Mercedes. He was the mercy bringer, the bringer of mercy. So I was like, okay, let's go, Mercedes. We're landing on it. We're doing it. And um, and then uh, actually, our our doctor had a real lack mentality because we uh, she was born, and he said, "What are you gonna name her?" And we said, "Mercedes." He goes, "Well, that's the only way a pastor is gonna get a Mercedes." I said, "Get behind me, Satan! Get behind me, Satan!" Hey, that's all right. He hadn't read the whole Bible yet. He was a Seventh Day Adventist, so it's all good. Um. But her middle name is Kate after a gorgeous and amazing uh, mom. And so Mercedes Kate, we, we created a phrase and in, in a, in a declaration over her that it was the mercy of God that causes us to stand pure before God, right? So Mercedes Kate, that's what her name means. And then Kenzie. So I, I figured number two was going to be a little spicier. You know what I mean? It was going to get fired up a little bit. That's kind of how all of my siblings, the second borns are kind of the, the wild and crazy ones. And so I said, I feel like that's going to happen. I need to have a little bit of like a prophetic statement about baby number two. We want something a little fiery. So we found Kenzie and Kenzie has, I think, all kinds of different origin and different names, but I think the collective concept is fiery uh, and in some cases fiery princess. And uh, that is exactly what Kenzie is. And, and then her uh, middle name is Grace. And so we, Kenzie Grace means it is the passion of God that, that causes him to extend his grace towards us, right? So this is, this is what it means. And um, it's, it's okay if your kids' names don't have like a phrase like that. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Uh, I just, I had to make up for the fact that I didn't give them actual Bible names because all of my, us, or Daniel, Samuel, David, Stephen, Peter, Rachel, okay? And then my eldest brother, who they're going on their 10th kid now, uh, they've used all the other Bible names. You know, it's like, you pretty much use them all, you just stay away from Jezebel. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's kind of... And Delilah, you try to avoid Delilah. I was going to say Rahab, but, you know, she kind of got in the family line. So she's back in. She's back in. Rahab's back. Um, but, uh, but it's like Peter, Esther, Abigail, Rebecca, Ruth, Ruth Duth. 
Shout out to that name. Let's just say, when you name your kid that, it's a good thing they're homeschooled. You know what I'm saying? That's when homeschool comes in handy. You see, they're not going to get made fun of. Come on, somebody. Scratch that from the recording. If you don't hear that. Uh, and I think there's another seven more. I, I don't know how many. You know what? I'm, I'm going to read this because it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, Again, speaking to the power of the of legacy, um, I'm going on Instagram right now just while I'm preaching. Don't worry about it. Um, so his his daughter, um, who's the second born of the soon to be ten, the tribe, uh, she posted and tagged her dad. And uh, oh man, this this could get intense. She goes, true story. So how old is she now? Sixteen. 16. She goes, I sometimes, I sometimes am insecure um, in, in planning my outfit for the next day, finding nothing that I feel confident or beautiful in. I begin to cry and then do the only thing left to do, put on my thrifted princess prom dress and go on a walk in the summer air to boost my confidence. Emoji. Okay. <laughs> then... Out on the lawn, I see my dad walking towards me from the barn with an understanding smile and a gentleman's bow. Oh, geez. Um, he asks, may I have this dance? Five words that stop the tears of insecurity. Five words that tug a daughter's heart. He dances with his daughter. Okay. Not caring that it is late, that he is tired, or that he's already had to deal with her emotions several times that day. (laughs) As he twirls her around in the ballroom of the outdoors, he reminds her that she is beautiful, worthy, and loved. Now the tears that flow are those of joy, a sweet joy that brings security Nothing but a father's arms can bring such security as she feels now. Words cannot express the kind of father you are, Daniel. I love you, Daddy. Wow. Wow. How good is that? And again, remember, that's one generation different. One generation different, that kind of a deal. Now you know why they have 10 kids. They should. They're that, you're, you're that good of a dad. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, you know, the, the power of identity, I've definitely got sidetracked. What a beautiful story that is, though. Let, let me just kind of speak a little bit to this this whole concept of, of identity being transferred and also being altered is a biblical concept, right? You remember in, in uh, Genesis 17, 5, the Bible says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. Oftentimes you'll see that God will alter identity as he's trying to take you into a new thing. Basically going, hey, that identity you've been living under isn't going to take you where I need you to go right? Some of us here today find ourselves in that, the identity maybe of our own fathers or the identity 
that we find ourselves in, it feels like some type of label, and God is here to say, hey, listen, I've got some new name for you. I've got a new identity for you. I've got something different I want you to see yourself as. And God will often change our name. He did the same thing with Abraham's son, uh, Jacob. Uh, with Jacob, he said, no longer will you be called Abraham. Uh, sorry, just kidding. Uh, Genesis 32, 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, right? So Jacob's name uh, was basically deceiver, right? That was the label. What a weird era, right, where they just named their kids super horrible things. Like, that would be like naming your kid COVID. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? If you did that, please stand up and head to the county office right now and change their name, okay? Like, that's unacceptable, right? Or you call your kid Pan it's short for pandemic or something like that. Like, uh, or, or, you know, it's just, it'd be crazy or call your kid like mask. You know what I mean? It would just be, it just, it'd be a weird thing. You'd labeled that oftentimes it'd be like, I'm going to call you this because this is what's going on in my world. That's around me. And, but God's saying, listen, you're not Jacob. You're not deceiver. You're actually Israel, father of many nations, right? You're, you're going to be the, you're going to be the prince of, 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 of my people. And of course, that's what ultimately the, you know, the nation of Israel takes on that name. The 12 tribes of Israel come with that name, right? And so we carry that identity even to this day. And then in the New Testament, Jesus continues that when he's engaging his disciples that he's calling to himself. First, uh, or in John chapter 142, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you, but you, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So he, he understands that, hey, listen, I've got something for this guy to do, but I'm going to need an identity shift to happen in him. I need him to go from the way he's been seeing himself to Peter, which means rock. I need you to see something different. And, and as we, what's interesting is Jesus prophesies that at the beginning of his story, and then we see a very non-rock-like character throughout the, the, the story wishy-washy, emotional highs and lows, right? Denying Jesus, nothing rock-like, nothing stable-like about Peter, yet he begins to prophesy identity. He begins to speak into who he needs him to be. And ultimately, Peter does become that rock that is one of the pillars of the founding of the church. He begins to speak identity, but also begin to alter the identity. But let me just uh, speak to a couple things about the guardian. So we were the guardians of our family. We're the guardians of our wife. We are the guardians specifically of our children as well in the context of this. And, and a guardian or a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper, right, is somebody who makes a decision of what comes in and what can't come in and also makes a decision of what needs to get kicked out, yeah. right? So if you're a guardian of your, of your children, you have the ability to, to guard against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right, you, you begin to stand up against anything that would try to stop them, harm them, mess with their identity, any lie of the enemy that would try to come in. You know, the the late great Cy Rogers, who we've had, we had speak uh, at our church many times. He said this from a psychology standpoint: when a child, maybe in a playground, is called a name, that bully that calls him a name, you need somebody who that child perceives as more powerful than the bully to override what the bully said. 
So it's this concept of overriding the bully, right? There has been a name or a label or something put on a child or on you as a child or you as an adult, and it, it feels like the weight of that label has been intense, but God actually gives us the ability to override the labels and the statements that have been put on our children, that have been put on our family, and we have the ability to alter, to shift the identity of our children. We give them our name. We speak life over them. But how many know that we cannot protect and guard every single moment of our child's life? And so, but when we discover something that has tried to infiltrate our child's mind, heart, emotions, all of that, we have the ability to step in and say, okay, no, 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 that's not going to stay here. I'm not going to be okay with that. I need to guard what enters my children's lives. Of course, I'm speaking this, you know, you have certain jurisdiction, if you will, as your child is young. And of course, you're raising them to be able to do that on their own later on when they're out of your house. But if you do have young children where you are the gatekeeper of what they watch on TV or on technology or what they listen to in their ears, right? I just want to encourage you, be much more mindful of that. Don't, don't just be like, oh, cool, they're watching TV, whatever. Oh, it's Disney. It's probably good. <sighs> Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Oh, it's, it's YouTube kids. It's YouTube kids. It's fine. <sighs> Anything owned by Google is suspect, Okay. All of these entities, I love. I'm a massive social media fan. I love YouTube. I love all of the subscriptions and the 20 million movies I can watch at any moment. But to think that I need to, I can just allow that stuff to come into my kid's world, into my home, unguarded, unobserved, unprotected, unaltered, is a, is a, is a gross overstatement or understatement of the potential harm that can cause to your children. So, hey, change what your kids watch if it's not good, right? Alter what they're listening to if it's not good. I don't allow my kids until my, I, I, can, I know that my kids have the ability to stop something when they recognize it's wrong. Then I cannot leave them unattended watching content that I don't know what they're watching. Not because I'm overprotective. I'm the guardian of my kids' home, right? So I love country music. Any country music fans out there? I love country music. Right, good country. I'm a fan. Maybe it's that Midwest Minnesota coming out of me. I don't know. But I love country music, right? It's good vibes. Most of the time, it's like God, country, and beer. You know what I'm saying? So it's usually, usually it's all right. Usually it's all right. But, you know, like every genre of music, they have their fair share of breakup songs, cheating songs, you know, all that kind of stuff. And country has that as well. So there's one song that's called I Hope She Cheats. It's very catchy. But as soon as that comes on, I'm like, no. It's about a girl who's, you know, re naturally angry that her boyfriend cheated on her. But now she's saying, man, I hope you fall in love. And then right as you're about to marry her, I hope you find out that she cheated on you. And uh, I'll go, sorry, girls, I know it's super catchy, but I'm not going to listen to this song. Why? Because I don't want to cheat. 
I'm not planning on cheating on this beautiful woman right here in the front row. I'm planning to marry, be married to her for the rest of my life. So why would I want to be singing songs about cheating? I don't want her to sing that song. You know what I'm saying? Like, hello. Hello. Uh, you know, we don't need that. And I don't need my girls singing along to cheating, adultery, drama. And, and of course, every genre has their own thing. And the reality is usually the top 20, 30, 40 songs that are most popular that all of our kids are listening to are all relationship-based, almost every single one of them. So be, be mindful of that because it is shaping how they think about relationships and usually not in the right direction. Okay, so be really mindful of what kind of songs, what kind of inputs. I'm going to invite the band to come up to help me wrap this up because that number up there is red. Okay, which means we got Father's Day lunches to go to and we need to wrap this up. How many ready for some barbecue, possibly some grilling, some chilling, whatever it is. And um, Okay, I want I want to bring this up to you in relation to this. Gosh, Numbers chapter thirty. If you haven't heard this, this is your ability to override things that are trying to sneak into your home. Numbers thirty, verse one. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, "This is what the Lord commands: When a man makes a vow to the Lord, takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must obey everything he said." Good note to the men. Verse 3, when a young woman still living in her father's household makes a vow to the Lord or obligates herself by a pledge and her father hears about her vow or pledge but says nothing to her, then all of her vows and every pledge by which she has obligated herself will stand. But if her father forbids her when he hears about it, none of her vows or the pledges by which she obligated herself will stand. The Lord will release her because her father has forbidden her. And it goes on. You can read that. It's about wives as well as, as, as kids in the home. This is an important note for us to understand. This is a biblical precedent that we have the ability as husbands, as fathers of our home, to step in and say, oh, no, no. I know that that got in, but I'm going to override that. I'm going to come against that. I'm going to command that spirit to leave their home. That's not, our home's not going to be like that. Our home's not going to be about that. You're not going to be about that. So we want to step in and use that authority. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this in Genesis 35. One of my favorite, one of my favorite identity things. And here's who I want to end with this, because for some of you, this is going to be a reminder of, of what God wants to do for you as, as a father to your kids, the importance of identity and even altering identity that's maybe been shattered. And then for some of you, I feel like God is, is wanting you to know, because some of you in here, you resonate with the Bible verse where it says that God is a father to the fatherless. Maybe you felt fatherless. You grew up without dad or an absent dad or an abusive dad. And for you, all the father talk is, is a little bit painful. And I just want to remind you in this, this verse here, what God is saying is he's, he's, he wants to step in. This is a beautiful story, a painful story, but beautiful. Um, this is Rachel and Jacob or Israel. And in verse 18 of 35, it's, it, you know, she's, she's horrifically dying in childbirth. It's a very sad story. Uh, scenario. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Benoni, 
but his father named him Benjamin. So at first glance, when you just look at it, okay, cool, name change, he didn't like the name, you know what I mean? But when you, when you look at what the meaning of the name is, it's massive. Benoni means son of my pain or son of my sorrow, right? And in one sense, can you blame her? She's dying in childbirth. And out of her pain, she labels her baby based on her pain that she's in, the, the struggle that she's in. And many of you in the room, that's maybe how you've been labeled. You know what, hurt people hurt people is, is a pretty true phrase. And some of you had dads, and I'm not excusing their behavior, but the reality is they maybe were hurt and abused growing up. They were, had dysfunction in their own life. And so now they're just passing along. They don't know, they don't know differently. They, they've never experienced anything differently. And so now in their pain, they've passed on their own pain to you, their own dysfunction to you. But Jacob rolls up on the scene, finds out what's going on. He's obviously in pain. His wife that he loves is dying. And now she, he realizes, man, my, my son's been labeled with this. And he could have gone, yeah, this is a horrific moment. That's going to be his name. But he intercepts it. He shifts the identity. He alters the identity of that moment. He goes from Benoni to Benjamin, and Benjamin means son of my right hand or son of my strength. So he, he shifts the future of this child from, man, basically a pain in the butt, <laughs> label, to you're, you're my strength, you're my right hand, you're, 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 my, you're your father's joy and pride and strength. And I just want to encourage you that God wants to do that in your life today. In a moment, I'm going to have the ministry team come up. And as we close out, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're a father and you realize, man, you know what? I need to make some shifts in how I'm parenting. I need to adjust the identity, the labeling. And I know that this is a moment for me to shift how I'm creating the culture my home. Awesome. Let's pray. Let's pray for that. Because it's never too late to begin to change how we're leading as parents and as, as fathers. Or maybe you're here, though, and this is hitting you in a real painful way because you feel like you've been labeled Ben or Nye, and you've carried that, and there's the pain of that in your own heart. And it's like, man, you, you don't want to parent out of your own dysfunction, but it's hard not to because you feel so weighted down by this. And God wants to do what he can do. He's our heavenly father. He can override even an earthly father's dysfunctional naming or lack of naming over your life. And your heavenly father wants to shift your name today. He wants to give you a new identity today. He wants to let you know that you're loved, that you're valued, that you're favored, that you're his. So you stand with me to your feet. I want, I want to pray quickly for those who maybe don't have God as your heavenly father first. And then we're going to open up the altar for you guys to come forward if you like prayer. And I know a lot of us kind of jet to to maybe get to plans. And I want you to enjoy an amazing Father's Day. Celebrate the heck out of your father uh, or your husband, your baby daddy. Um, and enjoy that. But, but I want to, we're going to open this up to minister 
pray with our team. We would love to speak into that because God, God's going to alter some things here today. Amen. He's going to shift some of that. But with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed real quickly, I just want to know, is there anyone in the room here this morning who maybe even before this this parent conversation, it's just like, man, maybe you've been kind of trying to do life on your own, isolated from your heavenly father. Maybe you haven't even really realized, man, you have a heavenly father who wants to save you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you uh, and to pay the price for our sin. That sin is what had been separating us from God, from our heavenly father. And what we just have to do is receive that gift of grace, that gift of salvation that Jesus gives, and we get reunited. We get back in connection with our heavenly father. There's a great story about the prodigal son that's told in the Bible where where God is saying that, listen, even if you feel like you've been away, you've been dysfunctional, you've been, you know, kind of wasting your life or your inheritance, all you have to do is run home to the Father and His arms are wide open. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come back to the house. He wants you to be in His family. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask if there's anyone in the room here this morning who you don't, you're not right with your Heavenly Father. Maybe you've never made that decision to give your life to Him, to surrender to Him. I want to give you that chance. Or maybe you feel like a way and you want to come back home. If that's you, either one of those, on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand. One, two, three, lift up your hand. Let me know who I'm praying with. Great, anybody else? Say, that's me. Say, that's me. Awesome. Anybody else who say, come on, it's time for me to come home. Time for me to make that decision to follow Jesus. Awesome. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Those of you who raise your hand, I want you to pray this with confidence, knowing that he loves you, he's for you, he's forgiven you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and raising him from the dead to give me life. Today, I turn from my sin and I follow you with all my heart for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Empower me to do your will. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.